The scripture reading today is Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. And there, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with the food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with praying and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Poseidon and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered in the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the stories therein. Thank you that, Lord, as we open up your Bible, Lord, what we find is it is indeed alive. It's not simply a history of what was, 
but it's also a declaration of what is. And Lord, we hear your invitation to enter into this story this morning, and we say yes. Yes, Lord. Would you lead us? Would you speak in a way that all of our hearts can hear? And would you shape us, God? We are here to see you. Remove every obstacle in us and around us and show us your glory this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of the West Virginia disaster, but I'm about to share it with you this morning. The West Virginia disaster. Raise your hand if you've heard about this before. West Virginia disaster. I'm not sure you've heard about the one I'm about to share. See, it was my very first missions trip. I, I just totally caught all of you guys. My very first missions trip. And on that very first missions trip, here's, here's what happened. I was a youth pastor at a church in Philadelphia, uh, right outside of Philly, and I'd never been on a missions trip before. So it was my first missions trip, and I was called to lead the missions trip. And God raised up 42 people to come on the missions trip with me to West, West Virginia, where we're going to do light repair work, kitchen crew, and vacation Bible school. You ready? We're about to dive in. Here comes the disaster. First, Vacation Bible School. We handed out all of these flyers all throughout this, this town in West Virginia where we were going to do this Vacation Bible School. We had a, a host church that was going to set us all up, and we forgot one little detail to put on the flyer that where we were meeting at that church was not the church that was hosting, but it was us who was hosting. And so that church came to us the night before Vacation Bible School and told us, it's canceled. It's off. It gets better. We had another leader that we had welcomed in from another church that was really handy. And so we thought, okay, this person is going to be great to kind of jump in and, and help out. And all that leader did the entire time we were there was bark at me. Just yell and scream and was very angry and was all in my face and made my time there and a lot of other people's time there miserable. Are you starting to catch on to this disaster story? It goes on. Bring your kid, they said. It'll be great, they said, right? We'd never been on a missions trip before. We had no idea what to expect, but we talked to one of the directors and they said, oh yeah, we, my son just had a kid and their kid's always here. It's awesome. Bring your five-month-old daughter with you. Huge mistake. So just so you know, if you're going on a short-term missions trip, don't bring a newborn. Do not bring a newborn. Here's why. Because all Kristen did was stay home with little Eva, stay at the camp rather, and feed her because she has to feed every two and a half hours. And so she's there waiting for everyone to get back and everyone gets back and they're exhausted and then it's time for sleep. And guess who can't sleep because it's freezing at night and hot during the day, but Eva. And so we're exhausted. We're not getting any rest. And then all of a sudden we get news that there's a jailbreak. <laughs> I'm not making this up. There is a state penitentiary near where we are at, and it houses incredibly dangerous criminals, and one of them escapes. So here's what they say to us. Don't go off in the woods by yourself, and if you see helicopters, don't worry about it. But if you see anything that looks a little shady, let us know. What? I'm there with 42 other people. Like, how is this going to work, right? And to top it all off, that night, we're all sleeping in our cabins, and you can hear what's going on in everyone's cabin because it's so hot, and there's no air conditioning. None. Praise God for air conditioning, right? There was no air conditioning. So we have all of our windows open, and all of a sudden, here's what we hear. 
Daddy, help. Help me, Daddy, help. He's screaming. This little kid is screaming at the top of his lungs. We all run out expecting we're going to have to do some business with a criminal, right? Like, and the dad comes out and says, oh, it's no big deal. And he just has those nightmares all the time. <laughs> what? What? So needless to say, the very next morning, Kristen gets in the car and leaves. She's like, peace, I'm out. Eve and I are going home. I'm out. And I got to tell you, I wish I was in the car with her. At that moment, I was like, I want to go too, but I can't. I'm the guy. And by the way, you know how we said God has these moments of grace that he, that he breaks in? So I'm expecting that's what's going to happen next. Because as the week continued on, we knew we, there was one day we were looking forward to as a team. You know, we do a fun thing on a mission trip, right? We're going to go white water rafting. Now, white water rafting, I didn't know this because I'm a novice, right? I picked a place that had three, four rapids, right? What that means, it's like kind of, you know, okay, a little rough, not too bad. But what I didn't understand was the level of the rapids is directly proportional to the level of rain. And the entire summer had been super wet. So what was once three, four was now five, six rapids. And so when we got there, this is what we experienced, I kid you not, this is not a picture of us. I, we don't have pictures of us because we were basically dying, right? But this is exactly what happened in my raft. That guy was me. These are four youth group students. Then we go down and it goes up and they're flying at me. And I'm like, I've got to catch them so they don't die. I'm bringing kids back in the raft one by one. Superhuman strength because I am, I'm responsible. These kids are going to die, right? And this was our fun day. Unrelenting was the pursuit of discouragement. Can you relate? All of us have seasons, and some of us would say we have lives that feel like this. And so when God comes, and in stories like the ones we just read, and he says this, be encouraged, there's more to come. How many of you want to keep going? <laughs> you do because you have faith. But in my heart of hearts, there's a big part of me that wants to say, and that did say in the West Virginia trip, God, I'm done. I'm done. I am undone. I'm overwhelmed. It's too much. I can't get out of this. Even our fun day was a catastrophe. God, what are you doing here? If you can at all relate with this struggle, then you're in good company this morning because the story that we just read that we're about to dive back into from the book of Acts is literally all about this. In fact, in case you missed it, it's Paul's very first missionary journey or missions trip. It's his first missions trip. And as we've seen the last couple of weeks, it's, it's, it's been full of a lot of heartache. They're opposed by a magician in Cyprus. You go out spreading the good news, and some dude comes with magical powers to, uh, to oppose you. Not a good day, right? Not a good day. Abandoned by one of their guys, John Mark, who's supposed to be there with them, tra their travel companion. He's like, peace, I'm out. I don't want to throw Kristen under the bus, but it just feels like. <laughs> anyway, she's upstairs teaching Sunday school this morning, so I'm okay if any of you share that with her. How about being opposed and persecuted in Antioch like we looked at last week? It's this story again and again and again of Paul and Barnabas going to bless a people, to try to care for a people, and yet receiving persecution and heartache in response. This morning, here's our theme. Relentless discouragement is an unwitting witness. 
to the presence and purpose of God. Let me say that one more time so it sinks in. Relentless discouragement is an unwitting witness to the presence and purpose of God. Did I hear an amen? Are you willing, three points, to endure oppression, to reject the wrong worldview, and to face down death? Those are not easy questions, but all of them revolve around this theme. So are you ready? Can we jump in? Let's do this, okay? St uh, point one, are you ready to endure oppression? They come to Iconium, which in modern-day times is Turkey, right? In, in our world, it's Turkey, just so you can kind of place it. And you see this back and forth that we looked at last week. If you weren't here for last week's sermon, it was all about this. Here it is in a nutshell. God has a bigger butt than you. God has a bigger butt than you. And his butt is where we see grace and miraculous power. One T, not two. Get your minds out of the gutter. Ridiculous. Right? We see even in our passage for this morning, a lot of Jews and Greeks believe, hallelujah, but unbelievers poison their minds. Uh, but God's witness, he gives signs and wonders, hallelujah, but the people were divided, and then they try to stone them. What? Yes, and then they fled and continued to preach. It's this back and forth of Paul and Barnabas going to serve a people to preach good news to them. They wanted them to know about this God who's literally defeated death. Is there any better news than that? They're giving up their lives and their livelihoods to preach good news, and all they keep getting is persecution and opposition. The question for us today is, are you willing to be hurt by the people you're trying to help? Did you hear that? Because I think so often, especially when we're talking about church stuff, here's what we say. I'm doing God's work. I shouldn't be getting hurt right now. Friends, that's the only way it's going to happen. It doesn't mean it's not a mixed bag. It simply means this. God says we're at war. Two kingdoms, remember? Light and darkness. When there's war, everyone involved gets hurt in some way. Let me put it to you differently. Hurting people hurt people. Can I say that again? Hurting people hurt people. So when you get close to someone who's hurting, guess what's going to happen? It's going to hurt you. And you have a choice in that moment to take offense, which is the bait of Satan, and make it about you. Therefore, you're the victim. I can't believe this person is treating me like that. Really? You can't believe? Isn't that the very reason why you approached them in the first place? Or you can say this. I know what's coming out of their mouths is indicative of what's in their hearts, not mine. I know what's coming out of their mouths and their actions towards me is indicative of why they need the gospel and the very reason why I'm here. And therefore, I will bless those who curse me and I will bear underne up underneath the weight of those who are oppressing me. Hear this. Every story has nuance. And so if you're in a relationship with someone who's truly an abuser, someone the Bible calls an evil person or a fool, you're not called to stay in relationship with that person for them to continue to hurt you. We can talk more about that outside of this setting, but know this. Oftentimes we come to church and we get a principle that we think we have to apply the same way in every circumstance. Wrong. There is a principle that God wants us to wisely apply, and part of that wisdom is being able to discriminate between 
hey, I'm here and I'm willing to bear up underneath this because you don't know what you need. But if that keeps happening with that particular person, to be able to have healthy boundaries is important. End of caveat. Did you hear that? Okay. So let me give you a couple of examples of where people are willing to bear up underneath the hurt of others. How about parenting? How many parents in here today? Come on, let me see those hands. All the old people. Good. Excellent. <laughs> see what I did? My hand was up. Listen, my hand was up, right? Uh, parenting. How many times in parenting have you said something like this? I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Come on, right? If I knew it was going to be this hard, Liam wouldn't have been here, right? No, just kidding, Liam. I love you, buddy. I love you, right? No, but we, we don't understand how hard it's going to be and how much it's going to take for us to parent. And the very ones that we're trying to help, we had a living testimony of that this morning in the baptism, didn't we? Trying to place the sign of God's grace on one of our little ones while he's saying no. And we love James, and we're praying for James, and we want James to grow up and know Jesus, which is why we continue to endure even when he pushes back. Well, what about domestic disputes? What does that mean? Well, do you know, like, probably the number one place where police officers get most injured is when they, they answer a domestic dispute. What do I mean by that? A husband is beating a wife. She calls the police. The police come. The police try to arrest her husband. And what does the wife do? She beats on the police. Why? Because there's all sorts of garbage going on in that relationship. And you've just entered into something that's bigger than this one moment. When you get close to hurting people, hurting people hurt people. And our police officers know that well. But any of you who have entered into marriage disputes or friend disputes and tried to be a mediator, you know that it's only a matter of time before those fangs or that target is placed on you. The question is, are you willing? Because here's what Jesus says. Do you remember when Jesus went up on the mountain and he called his disciples together and he started to preach? And in our Bibles, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he goes through all these blessings that don't sound like blessings at all. And at the end of it, he says this, which is the worst of all of them. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. When people speak all sorts of vile things against you. Blessed are you. What? <laughs> yeah. Because so they treated the prophets before you. In other words, guys, this is the way it's always been. And if people aren't opposing you, please hear this. You're doing something wrong. If in sharing the good news, there is not opposition, you're not actually sharing the good news. It doesn't mean you're always going to have conflict or you should go looking for conflict. Please don't hear that. It simply means we're at war. This is battle for hearts. And the enemy does not give up territory easily. And so when you have hurting people who think they have a right to think the way they do and feel the way they do, and you enter in, you're like, hey, let me love you. And they're like, Rawr! and you're like, what just happened? Don't ask what just happened. Expect that to happen so that you're ready. Because the very uh, beatitude is what it's called. Before that, this blessing that I just quoted, Jesus says, for when you're persecuted for my name's sake, you're going to be those that inherit the earth. Let me put it to you differently. When you're persecuted like Jesus is persecuted, you're doing something that's changing the planet in front of you. 
You're bringing the kingdom to earth, just like the prophets did before, like the apostles did before us, and like we're called to do now. The question, friends, is are you willing to endure opposition? Second question, are you willing to reject the wrong worldview? Please notice that when Paul and Barnabas, when they get to uh, Lystra and they go in there, they see a crippled man who's been crippled from birth, right? And so this is a true miracle. Like there's no fudging this. Everyone knows this guy's never walked a day in his life. And Paul and Barnabas go up to him and here's what they say. Seeing that he had the faith to be made well. Please don't miss this. Faith is a necessary part of the equation that equals miracles. Faith is a necessary part. It's not that we have to have enough faith to get healed. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you need to have some faith. What does Jesus say? If you have the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest amount of faith, the kingdom's going to come through you. Miracles are going to happen. You're going to see heaven come to earth. Why? Because it's not about the amount of your faith, but the object of your faith. And if you truly have faith in him, he will work miraculously through you. It doesn't mean that simply because we believe we can name it and claim it, it's going to happen. Wrong. But what it does mean is because we believe and know his heart, we can listen and do our best to walk in what we're hearing and to be honest about what we feel and want and to really wrestle when things don't seem to be working out the way that we want them to. It's about relationship, friends. It's not about rules. It's about knowing a God who wants better for you than you even realize in this moment. You need to have faith in that God, a little bit of belief. And when you do, miracles happen. John Wimber wrote a book on healing, power healing, and he talks about this healing environment, and he references in that book this, this picture in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus is called to Jairus' house because his daughter has died. And everyone in the house is mourning and wailing. And no one believes that Jesus got there on time because he didn't, according to them. But Jesus walks in, and do you remember what he does first? He tells everyone except for the parents to leave. Let me rephrase what he did. He took unbelief out of the room. And he brought those who believed with him into the room. And then he says, Talitha Kumi. And that little dead girl rose from the dead. The environment of faith is necessary. Why? Because God designed it that way. God doesn't need our participation. He wants our hearts. And when he has our hearts, he can move mountains through us. Where are you holding back? Because you think, I just don't have enough faith. It is not about the amount of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. Fix your eyes on him and watch what he will do. But please notice in our passage for this morning, Paul and Barnabas, in Jesus' name, raise a lame man. Hasn't walked, now he's walking. And here's what the crowds do. They take this fact. In Jesus' name, this man was raised, and they interpret it through these lenses. They say, we're going to interpret it through our worldview. Our worldview says it's the pantheon, the Greek pantheon. It's Zeus and Hermes, right? And th that's who it must be. It's Zeus and Hermes. There's, that's the only logical explanation for what we just saw. Did you, did you hear it? I, just, I want you to pause there for a second because it matters. 
Because we all have worldviews. Most of our worldviews today are anti-supernatural. We say it can only be a natural explanation. And so when I see miracles happen, I'm going to look for a way to kind of explain it away and take away God's power because I'm a little embarrassed, quite honestly, to try to talk about and believe in a God who does miracles when he doesn't do miracles all the time. And so what we're really saying is I'm embarrassed to believe in a God who doesn't take my orders. And I'm afraid to admit he exists because if that God exists, I have to actually listen to him. And this world doesn't work my way, it works his way. So you see these people interpreting what just happened and saying, well, Barnabas must be Zeus and Paul must be Hermes because the high God and the guy who speaks for the high God, right? Here's the irony. The irony is they still concluded incarnation. In other words, the good news of the gospel is that God put on skin and came and saved us. And when they saw this miracle happen, they said, oh, the gods must have put on skin to come and save us. God's funny. But all of us are doing that. And I'll get to that in just a second. But here it is. Don't miss this. The good news that Paul, Paul says is, the good news is to turn away. Turn away from those old ways of thinking. Turn away from those old ways of living. Why? Because they're traps. Let me explain to you what I mean. In that culture, there was this twist. A couple weeks ago, we talked about this twist. It looks so close to truth, but it's a twist. It's Satan as that first bartender that adds to the water of life a little bit of poison. And we drink it and think it's just water. It's just life. The twist in their culture, which was coming with tremendous pressure, was that they were going to do these God substitutes. Zeus and Hermes, please realize, here's what they're saying. Not just that they had to put on skin, but that the high God... And his, let me rephrase it, word came to us. Who, who do we know as the high God and the word who became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us? Yahweh and Jesus. Do you see? They are trying to take the truth. It's so close to the truth with a twist. What's the twist? In the Greek pantheon, who's the God that saves humanity? Oh, that's right, there isn't one. And so we take the truth of the gospel, we twist it to make it fit into our culture, and we end up without a savior. You know who else does that? We do. Because the twist in our culture is self. Who's the high God? I am. Who's my main speaker? You are. I need you to speak words of affirmation over me. Because if you don't, then somehow I get my feelings hurt, my world falls apart, and I can't keep going. So here's the thing. You're the high God in your world, and I'm your chief speaker, right? You know what we call that? Fear of man. It's all cancel culture, right? I'm afraid to say anything because I might look bad in the eyes of the people around me, on those in social media, at school, at work. And so here's what we're all going to agree to do. We'll let each other be high God. I can be Zeus, you can be Zeus. And you'll be Hermes for me and I'll be Hermes for you. And we'll each take turns taking the place of Yahweh and Jesus. We never ever think about it like that. We don't. But the truth is, to the degree that we live this out, it's the same trap. Our need for a Savior is exposed because guess what? You will always let me down when I need you to be the one who consistently faithfully speaks words of life over me. 
and I will do the same in your life. So the need is still there, but the Savior has been eliminated. Instead, what God wants us to do is to recognize the worldview, the wrong worldview, to call it out and to not give in to the pressure to conform. Where are you at with this, friends? Looking at our teens especially this morning, right? Because that pressure is huge on you guys when you're in school, when you're on social media. Huge pressure on you. But it's not just our teens. It's every one of us. We all feel that. Are you willing to reject the, the wrong worldview so that you can live into the light and life of the right one? Here's the thing, though, friends. The encouraging news, it gets worse. <laughs> right? Are you willing, our third point, to face down death? Because Paul and Barnabas, they're literally going from city to city. And what do we see? The people that they ticked off in Antioch and Iconium track them down. Unrelenting pursuit. They don't give up. They go on their own little missions trip. And that missions trip is all about silencing Paul once for all. Please, please realize, they stoned him, which means he was messed up. They thought he was dead. That's the only reason why they left. They stoned him. One of the things for us to wrestle with here, friends, is oftentimes we are these guys. We're the guys in this passage that think we are zealous for the truth. And so in being zealous for the truth, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and we're going to destroy the people who don't agree with us. Please don't miss this point. Our enemy is a destroyer. Our Savior is a life giver. To the degree that you and I justify in our lives going after those that we think are wrong with a heart that is bent on destruction. We might not use that word. We just want to put them in their place. We just want to silence them. We just want to show them that they're wrong so that we can be right. To the degree that we do that, we've misunderstood who we are and whose we are. Notice in our text, however, that Paul and Barnabas keep going. This dude is left for dead. Left for dead. He was messed up. Have you ever been hit by a rock before? Just someone throwing a rock and it hits you. It hurts. Have you ever been hit by 50 rocks before? No one. That's right, because you'd be dead, right? This guy was left for dead, and then they use this word, I'm pretty sure intentionally, Paul rose. He rose. They left him there dead, and Paul rose. And where did he go? Did he run away? Did he say, I'm out of here, peace? He went back into the city. And then he continued to the next city, Derby. And then when he was done in Derby, they came back and went into all the cities where all the Jews who had just come and the Gentiles who had just come and stoned him went back to all of those cities to encourage the brothers and sisters. What? 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 How does that even happen? Enter the kingdom through many tribulations. Keep going, brothers and sisters. This dude is messed up. He's all swollen, bruised up, probably cuts, bleeding everywhere. And he's going to, from city to city with this message. They tried. The unrelenting pursuit of discouragement has now been swallowed up. 
It's been swallowed up by the purposes and the encouragement of our God. Look at me. They tried to stop the messenger, to stop the message, to silence the king, and it didn't work. So the very thing that they thought they did to stop it becomes the very thing that propels the kingdom and the message and the truth. Amen. Amen. Rejection and persecution were exposed as frauds, friends, because the truth fueling their mission was love. You know what's really in your heart when things get really bad and you want to show the people who are abusing you that they're number one. You know what I'm saying. You're all number one. I'm out of here. You flip them the bird and communicate that they were actually right. You are a fraud. As opposed to receiving the love of the king and even when they respond the way that they respond and even when there's oppression and abuse and even when there's stoning, you say, it doesn't matter. I'm here for the king. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we get to lay down our lives for one another. Amen? Please realize that Paul captures this very picture in his letter to the Galatians. Now, some of you are missing this connection. So let me make it for you. When Paul went on this first missionary journey... He went to the region of Turkey, but he went to the east side of Turkey. The east side of Turkey is known as a region called Galatia. And so Iconium, Lystra, Derby, they're all churches that are part of the letter to the Galatians. So listen to what Paul says to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem to buy with his very body those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you see it? What's the motivator in Jesus laying down his life? It's love. It's family. At all costs, it's creating family out of those who are ready to persecute and reject and say no to him. Let me put it to you differently. Rejection and persecution lost. Love won. And Paul goes on to say to this same church, or these same churches, even if an angel or any other person, even if I come back to you with another gospel, let it be a curse. Don't even listen to it because we know what the gospel is. Here's the good news. God laid down his life for us. So nothing, nothing can overwhelm that in us. And so here's the point. When God laid down his life for us, he gave us something, his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is what now fuels us to keep going when we feel completely overwhelmed. Which is why Paul says this. Hear these words. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Did you hear it? He's saying, I've been so united to this Jesus. 
that what he's done is true of me and the power that he won is now true of me. Therefore, let's keep in step with that Holy Spirit, not walking in the evil of our culture, but walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Why? Because as we bear the, the, the weight of one another's lives together, we fulfill the law of Christ. There's only one law in the new kingdom, and that's to bear up underneath one another's burdens and to not grow weary as we do. Because the one who has said, you will find a, a harvest of life is the one who's shown us exactly what that looks like. Friends, where are you and I struggling with our own disasters? I started off sharing with you about my West Virginia disaster. Can I tell you that that's, that same youth group, those kids that many of you in this place have met before, they're like sons to me, those guys. And we look back to that trip with great fondness. Why? Because it wasn't terrible? No, it was terrible. In fact, the guys on that trip, I made them work kitchen crew with me. You know what that meant? We had to be in the kitchen at 5 a.m., which means they needed to get up at 4. Why? Because we were going to have devotions before we went to the kitchen crew. They hated me. They hated me, right? But the reality is we look back at that time as formative in our relationships. We look back at that time and we say, look at the way God stretched us. We were undone, but we were not abandoned by him. We were hard-pressed, but we were not destroyed. We lived, in other words, the truth that Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians when he said these words. But we have this treasure, the Holy Spirit, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Did you hear it? This is the mystery of the gospel, friends. None of us like to suffer. None of us like persecution. None of us like when life comes at us hard. But our Jesus has shown us that in a broken world, there is literally no other way. You can do this and try to do this without God and without Jesus. And all you're doing is removing the Savior from the equation. You're not removing the suffering. You're not removing the trials. You're not removing the struggle. You're just separating yourself from the only one who can actually help you in it. But when you have him, and better yet, when he has you, what's at work in you is glory glory, even when you feel hard-pressed and persecuted and struck down. The end of the story has already been written. The truth is yours to live into. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing to endure the unrelenting pursuit, please hear this, of encouragement Discouragement is constantly coming after us, but encouragement is wrapping it up in the truth of the gospel so that every place discouragement wants to, to crush us and make us feel like we're abandoned. God's saying, right there, I'm at work in you so that all eyes can see that this all-surpassing power belongs to me and not to you. So here's, here, let, me, let me rephrase that for you. It's always going to feel overwhelming. When you get to that place, it's going to feel like you're being stretched further than you can go. It's going to feel like you're alone, abandoned. 
But God's already told us 2,000 years ago, he wrote in this gospel that we just read, friends, this is the way. And he will be with us every step. Are you willing to endure the unrelenting pursuit of encouragement, to love and hope and keep going, even when discouragement is loud? Because love has already won. Many of you this week have been praying with us on multiple levels, right? Some of you who work, uh, who are part of Capernaum, Young Life Capernaum, you know Johnny Roro. And you've been praying with us for Johnny because Johnny, um, he has Down syndrome. And he is at the University of Syracuse. And he came down with bilateral pneumonia. And so he was in the ICU and very close to death. And we have been praying for him. And I have great news this morning, friends. He has been extubated, which means he's no longer being breathed for by machines. And he is on the road to recovery. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We continue to pray for our brother Mike, asking for more time, asking for healing, asking for this time to be sweet and rich. And look what God gave us today, brother. Amen. Amen. And we're not going to stop praying. Many of you have also been praying for Dr. George. Dr. George is one of our elders. In fact, he's our elder elder. And uh, he sent a letter that he wanted me to read to you today. But as I'm looking for it, I want to give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a heads up. This has not been a good week for George. He was heading in a good direction, and he is no longer heading in that direction. And so medically, unless there is a miracle, there's only one way this story ends. But friends, we know the God of miracles. And we are going to continue to cry out for George and ask for miracles. We've already seen some. The only reason why he started getting better was because there was a miracle. Let's ask for another. Let's pray that his lung opens up. Let's pray that it starts to receive oxygen again. Let's pray that we get to see our brother back in worship again, just like God gave us Mike today. Let's pray that God gives us George soon. Amen? Amen. Hear this letter from our elder elder. To all my brothers and sisters in the Lord, thank you for your intercessory prayers. He wrote this out. I may never know why or what caused this lung problem, but I have been trusting in the promises of Romans 8, 28, which says God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. My family, personnel, church, and patients have been remarkable. Still a significant way to go. Please keep praying. Gathering strength so I don't run out of hugs. 
Love your elder, elder, Dr. George. Beloved, the invitation for us this entire journey with so many of the loved ones we just talked about is giving God our yes. Will you keep going or are you going to pull back and guard your heart? Will you keep going? Will you keep fighting even when the doctors give bad news? Will you keep believing? Will you keep asking? Even if it goes the way we don't want it to go, will you keep trusting that the heart of our Father is bigger and better than we understand? Please hear this, friends. The invitation in front of us as we pray is to not hold back. Do not guard your heart from the only God who can actually protect you. Give him your heart so that no matter what happens, you're in the best hands. And as you give him your heart, give him your heart. Cry out. Ask the Lord for healing. Ask the Lord for miracles. Let him be the one who gets the glory in this and this and in all of our situations that we've brought in here today. God has promised one thing. In this world, we will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This is our Jesus. And we dare not guard ourselves from him. Let's cling to him and watch what he can do. Are you willing? Are you willing? Listen, I know you have stories, many of you, that, have, that are going unsaid right now. Just because I didn't say them out loud doesn't mean he doesn't hear and see and know. So give him your heart and let him take care of the details. He's already shown us discouragement has lost Death has lost. Love wins. Lean in, friends. Lean in and don't give up hope. Let's pray. Yeah. Yeah. Abba, thank you for that of Poppy's mouth, Lord. We hear a declaration of your truth. Never give up hope. Ever, ever, ever. We hold fast to the one whose name is hope. We hold fast to the one who brings all hope. We hold fast to the one who is our comfort. And we declare this day the wonder and awe of this reality. That you're the one who's holding on to us. That when the floodwaters come. And we're overwhelmed, Lord. You're the rock that is higher than I. You're the rock that's higher than we are. You're our refuge and our strength. Our ever-present help in our time of trouble. You have already done it. And you will do it again and again and again. So God, I pray right now. For everyone in this place and for those watching online, Lord, who are carrying burdens that are too big for them, 
and who think they have to be angry with you or emotionally cold, off, distant from you because you don't hear them, because it's not working. Jesus, will you draw near to them? Will you draw near to us? Will you pour your love into our hearts and hold us close, Lord? Remind us that when we have you, we have everything. And we have you. I pray, Lord, that this would be a week of stretching our hearts. That you teach us to pray bold prayers, even in the face of discouragement, even in the face of hopelessness, that the, the unrelenting pursuit of discouragement would be swallowed up in the real hope that we have in the living God. So meet us, Lord God, even now. Minister to our hearts, we pray. And be glorified. Rock of ages. Be glorified, firm foundation. Be glorified, King of kings and Lord of lords. We honor you. We look to you now. You alone are our